Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. You know, when you go on vacation, or as parents, when you're going out for going away for a few days and you have someone taking care of the children, there are always so many things that you want to say. And sometimes in the summer we go away for a significant length of time, and then there are things about our home that we want looked after because uh, there are bad things can happen when you're away for a few weeks. So you give instructions, and then still sometimes things come up and you get a phone call about something that isn't working right or something went wrong somewhere. And Jesus is in that situation in John chapter 16. If you turn there, please. As he's getting ready to leave, he has all sorts of things that he wants to say to his disciples. But he tells them, I can only tell you so much now because you can't handle it. You can't handle it all at one time. So he tells them the important things. John chapter 16 and verse, starting at verse 5. But now I go away to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. And he's told them a number of things that are coming to pass already. And they're beginning to be sorrowful because they've been with him for two and a half, three years. And they can't believe that he's going to leave. So he said, because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And we know that the Helper is referring to the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And as their eyes start to pop out, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What did he just drop on them in these last three verses? Four verses, the helper is coming. I'm going to send someone else similar to me, and he's going to take care of you, but you've seen me walking in the flesh, and he's going to indwell you. And he's going to lead you, and he's going to teach you, and he's going to instruct you, and he's going to make you witnesses of what you've seen and what I've passed on to you. But he said there are three very specific things that when he comes, this is what he's going to do with respect to those who do not believe. You as believers, I've been trying to fill you in and as disciples. But he said there's a point when he comes that there are three things he's going to talk about 
to those that are not saved, those that are without belief in me, and it, they're going to talk about sin. He's going to talk about sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he explains very little about each of those points, but the first thing he says, he's going to convict of sin, which is working in the unsaved, convicting them of not believing in him because he says he wants this to be done because uh, it's of sin because they do not believe in me. Well, it's been obvious there are a lot of people that did not believe in him, and so they are already experienced in dealing with that to some extent. But Jesus has always been there to help them out and to say, now what do we do and how do we handle this? Now they're going to be on their own. Panic. What do we do? He says, you just wait for the Spirit till he comes. And we see that happening in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and then launched the New Testament church. But let's look at these points. What does it mean of sin because they do not believe in him? Well, there are certain facts that people, if they're going to have receive eternal life with Jesus Christ, it's based on their response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit about sin, righteousness, and judgment. The sin of not believing in Christ is the ultimate sin. Who is Jesus Christ for, to begin with? How do people know who Jesus is? Of course, it comes from Revelation. And uh, there's a sampling of names of Jesus Christ that I've taken primarily from the book of John. And then the last one, it comes from the book of Revelation that John also wrote. I had a professor in seminary who said that he had studied the Bible and he found 365 names referring to Jesus Christ in the Bible. One for every day of the year. So obviously, we're just a little touch here on, in the notes for you tonight. But first of all, going back to chapter 1, we can just kind of skip through the book of John. Chapter 1 and verse 29, we have John the Baptist first speaking of Jesus and saying, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is known as the Lamb of God, referred to as the Lamb in Scripture and various places. But in chapter 4, then, as he, Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, he's identified, or she identifies, that she knows about the Messiah. She's heard of him. And when Jesus is talking to her about her spiritual situation, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. The most unlikely person in our thinking to convey that to, but yet one of the most needy persons, this woman. She'd been married several times, and the man she was living with wasn't her husband. 
So she said, I've heard of the Messiah. I've heard of him, and I know he's coming, called the Christ. And Jesus looks her in the eye and says, that's me. That's me. Jesus in uh, chapter 6 and verse 35 in speaking to a multitude says that in the last part of chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Actually, he's identifying himself in a spiritual fashion as bread. And so sometimes some of these names are picturesque terms. You can't take them literally exactly, but they are picture terms that describe Jesus in a special way and what he does or who he is. Chapter 8 and verse 28, Jesus is referred to as the Son of Man. Jesus spoke, said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me, and so forth. So here Jesus identifies himself, and he, he refers to himself quite often in the New Testament as the Son of Man. And so it's a term to understand that he was truly a real person, a real human being at the same time, but he was God still at the same time. So he wasn't just tricking them and he was some kind of ghost or something that was walking around. He's the son of a real person, Mary. And uh, of course, by the Holy Spirit. Chapter nine, he identifies himself as the light of the world in verse five. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. He is the truth that shows to people's lives what they need and what they should act like. And the Bible talks about men don't love darkness rather than light. They, do, they would reject him because they didn't want to see light. They didn't want to see by someone who was telling them the full truth. They liked their religion or no religion as they had already understanding it. Then in chapter 10 and verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastures. In the same chapter, in verses 10 and uh, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. In chapter uh, 10 and verse 36, and also in John 3.16, well, we won't go back there, but John 10 and verse 36, he refers to himself as, say of, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world that he's uh, a blasphemer because I said, I am the Son of God? So he refers to himself as the Son of God, refers to himself as Son of Man. So he's identifying his God, his deity, and his humanity together as he speaks, of these, speaks these terms. Chapter 11 and verse 25, and of course back in John 3, 3, 16, 
Uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So 11 and 25 and uh, the reference there is to uh, I am the resurrection. I'm sorry. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And this was said to Martha at, after the death of her brother Lazarus. Then in chapter 13 and verse 13, uh, Jesus speaks of himself as teacher and Lord. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. Chapter 14 and verse 6, when he tells them that they should not be troubled, believe in him because he's going to go and in his father's house are many dwelling places, and he's going your mansions, as mentioned here. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And then verse 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Because one of the disciples, Thomas, said, where are you? we do not know where you're going, and how do we know the way? Jesus said, me, look at me. I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Haven't you caught that yet? Some of us have problems com comprehending. We see it and we hear it and we hear it and we hear it. Did you ever read some things in the scripture and you saw it and you heard it and you heard it and you heard it and one day somebody preached on it or you read something somewhere and suddenly the light came on? I have a sister-in-law and I like to refer to this. She had a verse in her hallway in her house. It said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And for a long, long time when I was growing up, I could not figure out, why would you hang that on your wall when it says, the Lord is the shepherd that you don't want? <laughs> it didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> And that was misunderstanding. Somewhere along the line, the light went on. That's not what it really meant. The Lord is my shepherd, so I don't have any wants because God, he takes care of them. Nevertheless, <clears throat> in chapter 15, he illustrates his, who he is and his relationship to his disciples by saying, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abide in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So he calls himself the true vine. Chapter 20, after his uh, resurrection and in meeting with one of his disciples, Thomas, had not been at a meeting when they some of the other disciples saw Jesus and Thomas said I, I won't believe it I can't, I can't I have to see it for myself so we call him doubting Thomas but here in chapter uh, 20 and verse 28 27 uh, Jesus 26 Jesus after eight days with his disciples uh, 
His disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, and the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. He said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. We often say, seeing is believing. That's where maybe a, a kind of a saying like that would come from. But certainly I would think Thomas would have preached that doctrine. Boy, I, once I saw it, I believed it. I, how could he deny it? It wasn't somebody else. It was his Lord. Chapter 20 and verse 31. John, in writing his book, the book of John, verse 30, we'll start there. Truly Jesus did many other things in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So, there are certain facts that I mentioned up above that you have to believe about Christ or know about Christ. First, you have to know who he is. Who are you talking about? And that's what the Holy Spirit is going to help people believe as they learn about Jesus Christ. We need to help explain that to them so they understand who is this Jesus. People today are terribly ignorant of the things that we think are so obvious. And as you go abroad and our missionaries that are out in various countries, who has ever heard of Jesus in many of those situations? So you have to establish about who Jesus is based upon the scriptures. So they have their work cut out for them, trying to get people to learn that the scriptures are from God and then who God is and who the Son is. Who God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It gets difficult to teach all that. But nevertheless, Jesus says here, or John says here, without equivocation, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you might have life in his name. And what does the Holy Spirit convict of? Convicting of who Jesus is, or convicting of righteousness, first of all, and back in 16 and verse 9. And then of sin, because they do not believe in him, me, I'm sorry, the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. What, he, what is he then? He's, we have these names that are listed that identify him. But what kind of work did he do or what do we recognize him as? First Peter, uh, Peter writes that he bore himself, bore our sins in his own body on the tree. So he's the sin bearer. All of us have sinned, all mankind has sinned and come short of the glory of God and have no way of getting to God outside of through Jesus Christ. And he has to take our sins or had to take our sins upon himself and die for them and be buried and rose again the third day. And so he's the sin bearer because Peter was there as an eyewitness, knew it firsthand. 
He's also known as a substitute. Chapter 5 and verse 8 of the book of Romans. Paul writes and said, Christ died for our sins according, while we were yet sinners, I'm sorry. Christ died for us. And that in 1 Corinthians, he writes, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's what we commonly call the capsule of the gospel. That is what people must know. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14 says, The Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. For there is born in Luke chapter 2 when the angels announced the birth of Jesus Christ, said there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So people know that Jesus bore our sins. He was the substitute that took our sins upon himself. And he's the Savior. He's the one that we cry out to to save us from our sins. So that's what a person needs to understand. And Jesus said, ultimately, ultimately, the reason they are not going to respond or not being saved is the fact that they reject him. John chapter 3 and uh, verse 6, uh, beginning at verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. So what does Jesus say he's going to convict of? Of the sin, what sin? Of not believing in Jesus Christ. Not believing everything Jesus says about himself. Years ago, I was on a Holy Land trip, and there was a Jewish uh, guide that we had in Israel. And one, I think we were out on the Sea of Galilee, and one of our party asked him, when he was telling all these stories about Jesus and all the things that had happened, asked him, he said, what do you think about Jesus? And the guide said, I think he was a good man, but I don't think he was everything he claimed to be. Well, at least he was honest. He did not believe in Jesus. The Spirit had not con convinced him at that point. I don't know if he ever changed his mind later on or not. But at that point... He was willing to say, I don't believe Jesus is everything he said he was. It's like back in this Old Testament talks about the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Or no God for me. Because they can't believe what the scripture says. Or what, what would be done for them. So he's the sin bearer, the substitute, the savior, and we have to know that whoever believes in him then ultimately must trust him in their heart in order to have the application of what Jesus has done. You have to know the facts, who he is and what he is, and then trust him or believe in him. John 3.18 which I've just referred to, he who believes in him is not condemned because he is, but 
because he doesn't believe in the name of the only begotten son. Repentance means to change your mind and go a different direction. And repentance has to do with trusting Jesus as the only way, the truth, and the life. Not trusting anything that I can do to get to heaven. The average person that you're going to talk to or attempt to witness to is going to tell you they're a pretty good person, most likely. And they've done a lot of good things, and they're not as bad as a lot of other people that they know. So, I don't know if they expect Jesus is going to grade on the curve or how they're going to make it. But they're expecting that their good works will outweigh the bad works, and the Bible says that there's no man that does good. No, not one. So unless you can get a person lost, unless you can get them to the point of where they believe that they are not going to heaven, then you've got a starting point. But what we do with understanding how the Spirit of God is going to work in their heart, we need to furnish information from the Scripture that helps them understand what the Spirit is trying to tell them. So the Spirit can't convince them that the lack of believing in Jesus is what they need if they don't know who Jesus is and what He's done. So that's where we fill in the blanks. That's why we have tracts and we have messages and we have courses and all sorts of things to equip us so we can share things, at least plant seeds. Most people do not get saved the first time they ever hear the gospel. Sometimes people have heard it for years and years and then say, wow. Why didn't, I, why didn't I do this years ago when they finally get saved? They can't believe how blind they were and how much they had missed. So trusting him, Jesus says in chapter 8 and verse 24 of John, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's as simple as that. There are all kinds of religion around the world, and more and more non-religions, untrue religions, or patterns, or beliefs are getting the same respect government-wise and protection-wise that Christianity used to have. Christianity is being more and more trampled underfoot, as you and I know. We hear it in the news, all kinds of things, day after day, week after week horrible things that are being said and done to Christians who are trying to stand for the truth. People's minds are blinded and the Spirit has not moved in their hearts to understand what the problems are. Jesus, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be, by which we must be saved. There's not more than one way to get to heaven. We are not all going to the same place, folks. Despite what people might try to tell you. Now everybody in this room may be going to the same place. But if you happen to be here tonight and don't understand it, hopefully this will help you to understand the scriptures. Or if you're watching or listening by recording that, 
this will help you to understand what the Bible says and what the Spirit of God's going to talk to you about to convince you of truth that's revealed in the Scriptures. And Romans 10 then says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe that he died and was buried and rose again the third day and was the adequate sacrifice to pay for your sins, that's the only way to get to heaven. There is no alternative. There is no other. So, the Spirit convicts of sin, of not believing in Christ. And then, back in John 16 again, of sin because they do not believe in me. And verse 10 then, of righteousness, Jesus says, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Now, how, how will the Spirit of God convince people of righteousness just because Jesus left and we don't see him anymore. Well, he went to heaven. And he was righteous. However, even those who met him face to face, there were all kinds of people, when they heard Jesus speak, were just absolutely appalled at the kind of things he was trying to teach. And the way he was messing up their religion along the way. When the Apostle Paul preached, there were so many people that persecuted him and chased him down and whatever and beat him because of what he preached. A message. I hope nobody beats up your mailman when he delivers the mail just because he delivered it. <laughs> but that's the purpose, that's the way people think about Christians. You tell me bad stuff about myself and I don't believe it. My wife and I had a little movie on TV a night or so ago, and the guy, uh, one guy said, I, I like me a, a, the best of any person I've ever met. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good line, but that's what happens. Most people like themselves, and they like their own religion. And that's okay for you if you want to believe that, but that's not for me. And they like to push you aside and say, I don't need that, I don't need that. Little do they know what's coming and understand what's coming if you don't believe. Marvelous things that Jesus said are prepared for those that love him, but horror for those who reject him. So man tried to discredit him, 1 John 5, 18. Some of the Jews... Uh, sought to kill him because he said God was his father and he was making himself equal to God. Oh, that was horrible, horrible teaching. How could any man be equal to God? John 7, verse 12. Some said he is good. Others said no. On the contrary, he deceives people. Chapter 7 and verse 20, the last part of the verse they said, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. He was claiming that people were after him and were trying to kill him. And then in chapter 20, 10 and verse 20, B, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? 841, B, you are not, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. What do they mean we were not be born of fornication? Because they had heard that Mary was pregnant before she got married. 
And here years later, they are throwing this up in his face. Over at least 30 years later, this, is, this story has been circulated around about him that he was born of fornication, so he can't be any good. He cannot be a teacher of God. He cannot be who he claims to be. Chapter 9 and verse 16 Verse 16 and verse, part of, uh, second part of the verse. This man is not from God, someone says, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Matthew 25, 65. He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. So he was accused of all kinds of things and rejected and all sorts of things that went on. And much of it we don't even know because it's not written down. But Jesus stated his own case in chapter 8 of John, in verse 20, uh, verse 46. He said, which of you convicts me of sin? The convicting here and what he says the Holy Spirit is going to convict people of has the idea of accusing a guilty party with indicated that there's proof that they're guilty. Jesus said, which of you can convict me of sin? That is, which of you can pin sin on me and prove it, that I've sinned? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? So the disciples had been seeing some of this. So when Jesus says, there are going to be people that won't believe you and they're going to treat you horribly and all sorts of bad things will happen this is coming I'm trying to equip you because I'm going away but then Jesus says <coughs> in 829 and he sent that he who sent me is with me the father has not left me alone for I always do those things that please him How would you like to face somebody and they say, have you sinned recently? And you say, oh, absolutely not. Everything that God tells me to do, I do. Liar. <laughs> In 1 John, John talks about the fact that uh, when you talk about, if we say that we don't have any sin interesting thing that uh, John points out he who says he abides in him in chapter uh, 2 ought himself also to walk just as he walked brethren I write no new commandment to you but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning the old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning and he speaks also back in verse chapter 1 if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So nobody could accuse Jesus of sin and Jesus said, ah, you're right. I got to convince that. I got to con I got to confess that to my father. I lied. I told you some stuff that's not true. Well, Jesus with confidence could stand there and not have one tiny ilk of doubt whatsoever that he had done exactly everything, every 
jot and tittle he's carried out of the scripture as it was told of him and predicted of him and what he was commanded to do by the Father. He said, I've done it all. So, then the Spirit convicts, John says, it convicts of the problem of eternal judgment. Because the God of this world is judged. First chapter 16, again, going back there, and uh, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. How does that, how does the Spirit use the fact that Satan is judged for his sin of rebellion against God? How does that show that we will be judged if we reject Christ? Well, if you go back to some of the names of Satan himself, uh, I believe that probably Satan is the one that's described in Ezekiel 28. He has all kinds of terms, descriptive terms that are in the Bible about him. But he was called the anointed cherub there. And it's speaking to the king of Tyre, but there's stuff that's beyond that which would describe an earthly king. He's described as being perfect in beauty, full of wisdom, was in the Garden of Eden. Wow. And his original name, according to Isaiah, it looks like as Lucifer. As he talks about the king of Babylon, he talks about Lucifer when he was created. But the name changed with, later because that was son of the morning or morning star or something along that line is what his name meant but later became known as these other ugly terms. Satan, the adversary, the devil or slanderer, Beelzebub, ruler of the demons, Belial, understood as worthless or wicked. He's called the great dragon, the serpent, as we go clear back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden. The tempter, the evil one, ruler of this world, the God of this age, the prince of the power of the air. I heard a story years ago about a famous blasphemer, or agnostic at least, who is going to be speaking at a, on a radio program. <clears throat> and the announcer who was introducing him obviously didn't know anything about the scripture, and he thought he was giving a nice title to the speaker and say, now I introduce you the prince of the power of the air and then gave the man's name. <laughs> I doubt if he was real flattered about that, being introduced like that, because that, that's, a, that's the devil. So <clears throat> judgment is inescapable because the ruler of this world is judged. He's already condemned. It's just that his actual punishment doesn't come till later on, but he has been condemned already. He chose his doom when he rebelled against God back, I think, in Isaiah 12 or verse 14, chapter 14, I'm sorry. He says, I will ascend into heaven. Now, remember, he was in the 
Garden of Eden and all, had all this beauty and wisdom and knowledge. I think he was possibly the most knowledgeable and wonderful pers- uh, being that God ever created, if that be possible, in that sense. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. He says, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. I'm sick and tired of having to take orders from God and just be equal to God or not equal to God. I've been under him. But I can handle things just as well as he can. And I'm going to do it. And the Lord said, "Uh, no, I don't think so. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Hence, we have such names as the devil, Beelzebub, the great dragon, serpent, tempter, evil one. But he is available in this world to work on people and try to get people to follow him and his ways and since that is true he draws people off with him it's believed from the what the scripture teaches that he drew about one-third of the angelic creatures with him to follow him and their their torment and their judgment is exactly the same place that the devil is because in chapter 25 of the book of Matthew in verse 41 it tells us that hell was prepared for the devil and his angels that's where they're going to go in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 10 it's spoken of there what the exact carrying out of that penalty on Satan is Chapter 20, verse 10, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Ultimately, when he's cast into the lake of fire, that's the penalty. That's his doom. That's his judgment. And people who reject Christ as their Savior ultimately will receive judgment similar to what Satan did. Hebrews 9.27 talks about men will die and after that the judgment. Chapter 20 of Revelation and verse 11 says, I saw a great white throne of him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were, uh, who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The reason that it says anyone, but obviously no one is written in the, in the book of life that appears at the great white throne. 
this is only condemnatory to be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. And so those that reject Christ, how can they imagine the Spirit is going to talk to them to show them how they are going to get a, not get away with judgment because the most wonderful or top creature perhaps in the whole world that God ever created has been cast or will be cast into the lake of fire for his rebellion against God. If he's judged, how do you think you will get away if you reject Christ? So this is kind of a lesson and summary of what we can expect the Spirit of God to be talking to people about. So when we want to talk to people about the Lord, there are all kinds of subject matter you might want to bring up and just kind of get a feel for what they believe. And then you understand, okay, I need to tell them the gospel. And then you work toward educating them of who Jesus Christ is, who God is, God's justice and demand for the penalty of sin and the punishment of sin and what happens if they don't take the price that Jesus paid, the gift of God, which is eternal life. If they don't call on him and believe the gospel, they are doomed for the very same place forever and ever and ever it won't be for a while. You don't go to purgatory and work a bunch of it off and get away or some other way of mollifying God's righteousness, judgment. It is what it is, and it stands His judgment forever and ever. And once it's pronounced, it's all over. So hopefully this gives you a, a heart for people and understanding what's going through their minds and what's coming for them that they don't see their eyes are blinded to what Jesus has done and what the Spirit of God may try to do in their lives but God has to change their mind we can try to convince people we can use scripture and discussion with them maybe you're planting a seed maybe you're watering seeds as it goes along and people have to think and hear more don't panic God is the one who ultimately changes their mind and gives them opportunity to call upon his son Jesus Christ be faithful sow the gospel talk about the gospel talk to people about the Lord but understand I need to give information when I have opportunity maybe just a general discussion to kind of lead into trying to present the gospel but these are some things that you can expect because Jesus said this is what the Holy Spirit is going to convict of not believing in me and this righteousness that they don't have because I'm I I'm righteous enough that when I leave and go to heaven I will be accepted into heaven, but no one else will be without my righteousness. That's why he says he's going to convict in that fashion. And then you can't beat judgment because God has ordained that those who reject Jesus Christ will die and will go to heaven. Will not go to heaven, but will go to hell forever and ever. And those who go to heaven will never be tossed out. They'll never be lost. Jesus has gone to prepare a place, and he'll come to receive those that have called upon him. Praise God.
that's the good news.